So while they're cleaning up, uh, it's got nothing to do with the message, but I wanted to share something with you. I am a very impatient person. I am probably the most impatient person I know. And, you know, waiting in line drives me nuts. You know, I just, I'm not made for it. I don't like it. I'm just standing there doing nothing. And then, if the guy at the register is talking, hey, how you doing today, having a nice day, I'm just like, pay, leave, my turn. I don't do that, but I want to do that. I'm just in pay. Traffic drives me nuts. Especially when the guy in front of you is going like 46, and the lane, everybody's going 75, so you can't get over, and you're just stuck behind that stinky truck for hours, well, seconds. Very impatient. But sometimes God gives us opportunities to grow in patience, doesn't he? And I was thinking about that recently, and at least for me, life is that opportunity. (laughs) We're singing the song, God Reigns. And then I was thinking about the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because it's not yet. He has not yet brought his kingdom to earth. I'm waiting for Jesus, but I'm not patient. I'm like, come already. I'm ready for you. Come. And waiting for Jesus, to me, is very hard. It's the longest thing I'm waiting for. It's worse than a line, because I can do without a loaf of bread. But how about the bread of life? Waiting and waiting. And so, I don't know how many of you are like me, but when we sing a song like that, it it just revives me. And it gives me that hope to know that I'm not waiting for nothing. That Jesus died for me, and he said he's coming back, and when he does, it's going to be glorious. And I'm just pumped and excited and looking forward towards the Lord's return. And even so, speedily come Lord Jesus. And all of God's children said... Amen. Ah, yeah, that's how I feel about it. I'm glad I'm not the only one. Okay, so when I, when I was growing up, my mom had this saying, and I didn't know, I don't even know if she knows that it's a Jewish saying. It's, you catch more flies with honey than with vinegar. Have, have any of you ever heard that? Well, apparently it's an ancient Jew, Yiddish saying. I had no idea. I always heard it in English, and it makes sense. I understand what it means. If you want to get your way, if you want to have influence with people, if you want something to happen for you, it's better to be nice than mean. You know, be nice to people, and you get your way. Be mean to people, and maybe not so much. Sweetness is better than sourness in the way we deal with people. Do you agree with that? Absolutely. And, I mean, I don't know about you, but I hate it when people are mean to me. I'm sensitive. I, I try to be nice to people, and I want them to try to be nice to me. But I have to admit, there are exceptions to the rule. There are some people, and in some circumstances, where sweet doesn't work. You need some sour. I'm thinking about football, for example. When a coach wants to motivate his players, he doesn't gather them in the locker room and say, Listen, boys. By the way, how's your wife doing today? I understand she has a cold. We really didn't play our optimum in that last half. Now, 
I believe we're a better team than the other team. And if you guys will just give it your all, I know we can win. Now, pass out the candy bars. No. He says, are you guys girls? My grandmother could play better than you. What were you thinking? You dropped that ball? Do I have to tape the ball to your hands? Let me see you play. And the guys are like, yeah, yeah, we could do it. They don't get offended. They get motivated. Guys, we're stupid. Why do we want sour? But coaches know what they're about. They know how to get the most out of their players. And they get it by being aggressive and in their face. It's the two-by-four approach. <laughs> and it works. And it's not just in sports. Military. Put up my drill instructor. Yeah! Same thing. They get in your face and they for... Listen, I was in something like boot camp. I was in the police academy. And I had a friend who went through the army boot camp and we compared our workouts and ours was harder than theirs. So I know something about boot camp, even though I never went to boot camp. And things will happen like, okay, ladies, today we're going to run three miles. It's like, well, I've never run more than a half mile before in my life. Oh, you're going to do it. And then they start yelling at you, and you run your half mile, and you're, you're starting to lag. And they'll come up beside you and say, what are you, a girl? Pick it up, pick it up. And they'll push you and make you run faster. They'll get the best and strongest guy from the front of the line to the weakest guy in the back of the line to motivate him and help him. We had a guy, he must have weighed 250 pounds. If he weighed a pound, he was probably six foot four, big, heavy guy. And we're running up a hill. And we had a skinny guy, beanpole, who could run circling. This guy could have run in the Olympics. So he came behind the big guy and ran him up the hill by pushing him. Amazing. But you didn't hear anybody saying, wow. Have you just given it a little more? You're, you're trying hard. We appreciate that. In the face, yelling. And so I started off saying, I prefer sweet talk. I like people talking nice to me. But I have to admit, the yelling helped. Now, you may like sweetness better than sour. You may not like the two-by-four. But there are times we choose it. This passage of Scripture makes me know that. Listen. Proverbs 3, 11 and 12. My son, daughter, do not reject the Lord's discipline and don't despise his correction because the Lord corrects the person he loves just as a father corrects or disciplines the son he delights in. Why does God have to discipline us at all? It's the two by four because the sweet didn't work. We've got the instruction manual right here. If we just do it, we'd never have to be disciplined. But we don't just always do it. And so sometimes we need a little help. You know what I mean? Of course you know what I mean. You're human. You know exactly what I mean. Well, this exact thing is how the book of Zechariah opens up. The children of Israel, God had been sending them prophets, sending them prophets. Sweet, sweet, sweet. It wasn't working. So then the two-by-four came in, and Israel was judged. They were dispersed for 70 years. God brought them back, and then he held up the two-by-four again and said, I don't want to ever use this again. Let me read to you exactly what goes on here. Here's what Zechariah is speaking in the name of the Lord. The Lord was very angry with your ancestors. So tell them, this is what the Lord of the heavenly armies says, the Lord of hosts. Return to me. 
and I will return to you. Don't be like your ancestors. It's time to turn from your evil lifestyles and from your evil actions. But my words and my statutes that I gave as commands to my servants, the prophets, did they not overwhelm your ancestors? And they returned to me. So what he's saying is, basically, I came in with a sweet and it didn't work. I came in with a sour and it worked. It seemed like the discipline worked. It overwhelmed them and they returned to me. So, and then it goes on to say, the Lord acted toward us just as he planned to do, in keeping with our lifestyle and with our actions. So God responds based on how we live. We can choose the sweet, we can choose the sour. It's entirely up to us. Children of Israel, they needed the two by four. And now they're ready to start fresh, and God says to the descendants, return to me, and I will return to you. Now this just isn't in the Old Testament. Same advice with different words is given in the New Testament in the book of James. Listen, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Listen, come near to God, and he will come near to you. That sounds just like what we read from Zechariah. Return to me, and I will return to you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded, Grieve, mourn, wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. So basically, what Zechariah is saying, what James is saying, is we have two options. We can humble ourselves or be humbled. (laughs) Honey or vinegar. And the choice is ours. And just like Zechariah, James is suggesting we take the sugar route, the sweet route, and not the hard route. You know, the Bible says if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. If we would manage ourselves, discipline ourselves, then nobody would have to do it for us. It's it's like at work. Man, my boss is always yelling at me for coming in late. Well, stop coming in late. Yeah, it's, it's like that for everything. People won't tear into you you don't give them a reason to do so. Those in authority, of course. So how do we do that? How do we manage ourselves? How do we discipline ourselves? How do we choose the sugar route over the sour route? I've got seven steps for you out of James, that section I just read read to you. If we break it down, seven steps to follow to help us take the honey over the vinegar. Step number one, James chapter four, verse six said, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So step one is humble yourself. Give up arrogance. Bend before God. Give up the right to insist that you're always right. Honest question. How many of you are always right? (laughs) Just one. Here's a good question. How many of you thought you were right about something once, even argued and fought with somebody about it, only to realize you were wrong later? Uh, Almost everybody's hand goes up. Now listen, if you thought you were right, even to the extent of fighting about it, and then realized you were wrong, what are you wrong about now that you think you're right about? Anything, everything, who knows? The fact that we can be that wrong and not even know we're being wrong, that's 
an opportunity for humility. If we can acknowledge that about ourselves, our arrogance factor goes way down. And then when you have a discussion with somebody, you know what? Biggest one on the market right now, firearms, because of what happened in Connecticut. Sandy Hook. Okay, well, I think we should need more guns in school. Well, I think we should have less guns in school. Great. Have an opinion. But understand, it's just an opinion. You know, you don't know right from wrong. Yeah, yes, I do. No, you don't. You have an opinion. And that's all it is, is an opinion. See, I looked it up in the Bible, and it didn't say which way we should go on this topic. Don't get me wrong. I have my opinion. And, of course, I'm right. But if we could realize, I don't really know what I'm right about half the time, and the other half the time I think I'm right, I might be wrong, this will help us in our humility. And that's step number one, humbling ourselves before God. Step number two, so number one, humble yourselves. Number two, submit yourselves. Submit yourselves then to God, it says in verse seven. All right, how do we do that? Well, it's easy. Just obey his word. Read the Bible and apply those principles to your life. Sometimes they're easy. We all know, like the top ten. Don't commit murder. Okay, I won't do that. Don't commit adultery. Okay, I won't do that. Don't steal. Okay, I won't do that. Give to the poor. Well, maybe. Serve at the church. Well, I'm busy. Okay, well... It's very easy on paper to take the sugar route, the honey route. But I'm telling you, you can discipline yourself or be disciplined. So step two, verse seven, submit yourselves then to God in everything. And, and for a Christian, that shouldn't even be on the list. That should just be a given. Is there anything about a Christian that shouldn't be submitted to God? If there is, you've read the wrong book. Because this book doesn't say you can serve God with half your attention and half your life. It doesn't say that. It doesn't permit that. In fact, there was a guy came up to Jesus and he said, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? He was a young man and very wealthy. And Jesus said, you've read the commandments. Do those. You'll be fine. Most people don't understand what was really going on there. Let me explain to you. The young man said, yeah, I know the commandments, you know, honor your parents, don't commit adultery. I've kept them all, but I'm still lacking something. Paraphrasing. And Jesus said, yes, you are. Sell everything that you have and give it to the poor and then come follow me. And it says, the man went away sorrowful, sad. Point out a few things. First of all, Jesus sent him away. He said, never, never mind, just give away half. No, 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 just tithe. Jesus let him go. Why? Because God only accepts people that will follow him 100%. Everybody may not have had that young man's problem, and Jesus' answer to everyone wouldn't have been the same. But that young man loved money more than he loved God. Remember what Jesus said? You've heard the commandments. Do them, and you'll be fine. He said, I've done them all. Oh, really? Isn't the greatest commandment, love God with all your heart? So Jesus just turned around and gave him an opportunity to see that he didn't even do the first one. Because he had an opportunity to walk with Christ himself. And he wanted to keep his money instead. Ah, 
That's it. Jesus wasn't telling him if he did 1 through 10, he'd work his way into heaven. You've got to think more subtly and more Eastern than that. Jesus was telling him something without telling him something. He was showing him something. The guy loved money more than he loved God. So there was no hope for him. He has to love God more than he loves money. Now, had you come up to Jesus 2,000 years ago, he might have said, give up your money. He might have said, give up your... Fill in the blank. What do you love more than God? Because, see, God doesn't want half our heart. He will not take it. God will not take three-quarters of our heart. He will take all or nothing. There's a new book out, or at least it's come across my attention recently, called Not a Fan. And that's basically the premise of the book. This pastor had this epiphany that a lot of Christians were more like fans than they were followers. You know, they'll cheer you on their team, but they're not really invested in their lives. It's a great book. I'm about halfway through, and I'd highly recommend it. All right, so step two is submit to God. Step three is also found in verse seven. Resist the devil and he will flee. Well, that's easier said than done. Not really. Resisting the devil really isn't that hard. I'm going to talk about it a little bit in a couple weeks also. I've talked about it in the past. Um, You can go home and read Ephesians chapter 6, which talks about the armor of God and how to go into spiritual battle. But let me just give you a quick synopsis on how to resist the devil. First of all, and like so many things in the Bible, it occurs in sevens, seven little pointers. I don't have time to go into them in depth today. But first of all, walk in the truth. If you're a dishonest person or revel in dishonesty, You cannot resist the devil because that's his game. You're playing on his court. So the first thing is we have to walk in the truth. Second thing is righteousness, which is very similar to walking in the truth. A righteous lifestyle is like garlic to a vampire. Or is that a werewolf? Sorry, I don't have my mythology down. I know one of them doesn't like garlic. Come on, you supernatural people. Help me out here. Which one is it? Garlic? Vampires. Okay. So truth and righteousness to the devil is like garlic to vampires. Can't stand it. You walk in truth and righteousness, he can't mess with you. Don't. It's almost like a magnet. It's an invitation for him to mess with you. Third thing is share the gospel. Not just accept it, but share it. Because that piece of armor is the feet. Wherever the feet go, you bring the gospel with you. Shield of faith. Trust God. Believe in Him. Trust Him. There's a lot of people who fear the devil. Why? Don't misunderstand me. Don't walk on the same side of the street as that guy. and Never turn your back on him. Definitely have a holy respect for the damage that man thing wants to do. He is powerful. He is evil. But he ain't nothing compared to God. And greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. I mean, he's less than a speck of dust to an elephant. I mean, he's nothing. We don't have to fear him. The more you look at the devil, the more scary he is. So just look at God. Trust God, and he'll fill your horizon. Don't worry about that guy. Faith. Salvation. You can't resist the devil if you have not been born again. If you've not given your life fully to Jesus, the devil still has his way with you. Be into the word of God, number six which is our guidebook for safety and good living. And number seven is pray. If something's going on, pray. 
Oh, what a stupid thing to say, if something's going on. <laughs> something's always going on. Life's always got its problems. So pray. Sometimes your problems are worse than others, and when they're not that bad, then you can be praying for other people. I see a lot of empty pews, so I know right now some people are having problems. And it's a crazy thing about church. This is like the hospital for sick souls. And for recuperation, it's like the rest home. I want to be here. I need to be here. When I'm sick, I need the hospital. But what do we do when our souls are hurting? We run. Run from the people that can help us the most. From worshiping and praising God and being exposed to his word. We, we shrivel up into our little caves and say, leave me alone. Well, I would leave you alone, except I like you. No, no, I love you. And if you're hurting, leaving you alone is mean. It's selfish and nasty. And I'm not going to let you shrivel up and die alone. I'm not going to do it. Your friend's not here this morning. Maybe they're hurting. It might be something as simple as got the flu. Just call them. Find out. Maybe they need some soup tonight for dinner. Bring it over. A loaf of bread, a can of soup. And a, and a smile. Pray for them and then get out of there. <laughs> but it may be something very serious. We've learned recently, and Jose and Michael and I have been talking about this a lot lately. It's sad. People show up at church like this. And at home they're like this. So we think they're fine. But their lives are falling apart. But we don't know, because they're like this. You've got to open up a little to people. Let them pray for you. Let them support you. Great, great song. We all need somebody to lean on. If that's not true of you, I want to be your friend, because you've got lots of energy, and I'm going to lean on you hard. We all need help sometimes, and we need to admit it. All right, so step one, humble yourselves. Step two, submit yourselves. Step three, resist the devil. Step four, James 4, 8. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. The Bible says quite plainly, you shall seek for me, and you shall find me when you search for me with all of your heart. If we approach God, if we draw near to him, he will draw near to us. And it's not like he hasn't been trying for years anyway. He's trying to reach us. We're the ones who keep pulling away. So as soon as we turn around, it's like he's right there. He's ready. That's the sugar route, drawing near to God. Step five, also from James 4, 8. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Okay, purity and walking with God go hand in hand. Um, and you can just use your imagination about what purity means, and I'm sure you'll be right. Purity's got nothing to do with our physical world. It's got everything to do with our spiritual world. Though there is a way to cross those things to over in a very unwholesome way. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Well, James, if I thought you were talking to me, man, I'd be offended. Who's double-minded? Well, hopefully it's not us. But the lesson might be one to pay attention to anyway. Think back to double-minded. Those are people who flip-flop with God. Those are the people who are 50% in. Those are the fans, not the followers. Those are the rich young rulers who say, yeah, I want to be with Jesus as long as it doesn't cost too much. 
because I kind of like my money or I like my honey. Fill in the word, whatever it is that would keep you from walking fully and completely with God. So if you're here this morning, if you've not made a full-blown commitment to God, ask yourself why right now, just in your own heart. What is keeping me from a full-blown commitment to God? Then ask yourself, is it worth it? That guy was rich. If anything's worth keeping you from God, it'd be money. Because, yeah, you can have luxury for a few years. I'd rather invest mine in heaven where it's going to last forever and ever. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. No flip-flopping. In or out, hot or cold, with God, not with God. Step six, James 4, 9. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. That's a... How many of you have ever heard a sermon on that passage of Scripture before? Can I see your hands? Yeah, that's what I figured. I didn't even expect two hands to go up. Because you go into the bookstore now, and it's all about happiness. There are some preachers, they won't even preach a sermon unless they send you away happy. They want you to be happy. Now, happiness is good. I prefer happiness. I like happiness. So what's James's problem here? James doesn't have a problem. Like Solomon said in Ecclesiastes, there's more wisdom in the house of sorrow or mourning than in the house of mirth. There are lessons to be learned in sorrow. And getting right with God is serious business. It's not something to be laughed at. When we examine our own hearts passionately, seriously, no holds barred, that can hurt. I've seen, I've experienced, when I was real young with God, just a total emotional breakdown in thinking about myself before a holy God. That's not a time to be laughing and singing and joking. That's, a, that's serious business. Pure introspection and repentance it's not a time for laughing. It's a time for regrets. Bad decisions made. Lives lost, hurt, or ruined. Relationships broken. Time wasted. Those are things to sorrow over. But we don't stay there. That's just to get us into the right place with God. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Repenting, turning from sin, requires a full-blown, serious self-examination. And if you've never done it, you must. You must. Step seven, our last one from James 4.10. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Now you're thinking, wait a minute, Steve, wasn't that step one? Yes, it was. But for some reason, James decided to mention it twice. So I'm giving it to you twice. And I can only imagine he mentioned it twice because it's the most important. It's extremely important because I believe fully that humility is a barrier or a gateway. If we're proud, if we don't have humility, then the spiritual life is closed to us. We cannot grow spiritually. We can't even pursue God because our arrogance keeps us away. But if we will humble ourselves, that opens the gateway to all, all spiritual blessings. Pride will keep you from all of them. Humility will open them all to you. So it's extremely important. It's the foundational one. Speaking of humility, I found an amazing song by Paul Beloche 
to help get our hearts in the right place. So what we're going to do is we're going to watch the video. Um, if you know it or if you can learn it, sing along. And then I'm going to take you through a pastor's list of 24 ways to humble ourselves after the video. So let's take a look.
Isn't that an amazing song? It, um, ah, it just gets me right here. So I'm going to ask the ushers to pass out that little slip of paper I was telling you about. Um, it's one pastor's list of how to humble ourselves. Because after I realized this was one of the keys to this lesson, I thought, well, gee, I don't want to just tell us we need to humble ourselves. I want to help us do that. But how? I, I didn't really know. So I went online. I wanted to see what brilliance was out there. And I found this list. So um, it's like 24 ways to humble ourselves. Even though it says 22 on there, I counted wrong or something. So while it's going out, and it's on a sheet of paper, because my hope is that you're not just going to read this right now with me and then go home and forget about it. But you're going to keep it tucked away in your Bible, if you read your Bible all the time. Pin it up to your refrigerator or bathroom mirror, wherever you can reference it. Maybe meditate on one a day and make it a devotional for the month or something. So I'm not going to teach on these. I just want to go through them with you. And Andrew, can I get one of those two, please? Thank you very much. If you got enough left. Thanks. All right. Contemplate the infinite greatness of God. I suppose if we realize how big God is and how little we are, that can help on our route towards humility. Number two, consider your innumerable sins against God and the unbelievable mercy He's poured out on you. Number three, contemplate your human frailty. Your every breath and heartbeat, your eyes, ears, strength, and mental health are all from God, and He can remove them at any time. Contemplate your complete inability to control a single thing in this life. Five, realize that every good thing, talent, and gift you have is a gift from God, which He could remove at any time. Six, contemplate that if God did not keep you from sin, you'd plunge headlong into it. Seven, confess your sins and temptations to God and others. Eight, ask forgiveness of those you sin against, even if they sinned against you first, even if they don't ask your forgiveness in return. Nine, be quick to listen and slow to share your own opinions. Ten, don't be so sure you're right all the time. Eleven, consider that there are multitudes far more gifted and godly than you are. Twelve, cultivate thankfulness. Thirteen, Contemplate your many areas of weakness and share them with others. Fourteen, realize you're dispensable. If you died today, things would go on just fine without you. Sixteen, realize that the things that bother you about others may be the things you do as well. Seventeen, invite instructive criticism. 18, serve others, wash others' feet, take on lowly jobs in your church. 
19, take an interest in others. Consider others more important than yourself. 20, pray. Prayer is an act of dependence and humility. 21, ask for help, wisdom, and prayer from others. 22, when others compliment you, thank them, and then give all the glory to God in silent prayer. 23, rejoice when others are promoted, praised, or honored. 24, regularly contemplate the cross. Nothing should humble us more than the perfect, sinless Son of God willingly pouring out his life to rescue those who hated him and rebelled against him. So, my hope this morning is for those of you who have not made a full-blown commitment to Jesus Christ, that you would do so. And you can use that as a guide this morning's lesson. But on the other hand, some of you have made a commitment to Jesus, and sometimes we slip. You know, we get, we get the frog in the kettle syndrome, and we stop living and pursuing that holiness and forget the joy, and we just stumble. Use the, the lesson and the list to get you back on track. Me too. I'm not just telling you. Me too. I'm taking this home. It's going to be part of my devotions as well. Please join me in prayer. Lord God, we came to church this morning to meet with you, to praise your name, to fellowship, and learn from your word. And I prayed at the beginning of the lesson, and it's my heart now, that nobody would leave this church the same way they came in this morning. Help us above all things, not to just be fans of Jesus, but full-blown followers. Lord, if there's something keeping us that we can't see, that if we're blind or stubborn or proud, open our eyes for us. Help us to bring you honor and praise to your Son. Help us to love one another, to be kind. Whether we pursue sour or sweet, May we always give the sweet. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.